podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Anfield app on Radio City Talk. The 2018-19 season is going to be officially kicking off tomorrow as Liverpool travel to Chester FC to play the first of their nine pre-season games of the summer. We'll be discussing that. We'll also be having a chat about Loris Karius, who looks increasingly likely to still be Liverpool's first choice stopper come the start of the season, despite his European Cup final nightmare. And we'll also have an interview with Zach Gibson from McGull, who is the newest wrestler to join the WWE. But first of all, I'm Dan Austin, Gareth Roberts, John Gibbons and Mo Stewart are with me. And Gareth, to me, it really doesn't feel that long ago that we were coming back on the bus from Kiev. But here we are, all ready to go again. How excited are you to watch the Reds play already? Massively, you know. I went down to to Chester this week. Um, We we did a feature on Talking Reds, which is the daily video that we do on the Amphio Raps YouTube channel. And uh, it was good. As soon as as soon as you see a bit of grass and it's all laid out and it's nice, and we you know we got some like nice bits where we were allowed to go into the dressing rooms and stuff like that. So like you know, stood in the away dressing room, going, "This is literally where Naby Keita is going to put the shirt on and run through that little tunnel there onto the pitch." And it's funny because speaking to one of the fellas who's been working on the pitch and they've done a fantastic job given the weather the last few weeks um, and he was like you know I don't, want, I don't want all your lads coming here cutting my pitch up and I thought Kaiser's cutting it up mate <laughs> <laughs> he's cutting one of your players in half <laughs> never mind your pitch so no I'm, I'm excited about it I'm looking forward to it but you're right in that you know this gap now this summer that we used to talk about once once upon a time it's getting shorter and shorter isn't it with the pre-season friendlies obviously had the World Cup this year as well there's been no break as such, um, but I, I think surely that's a good thing. Yeah, we all love our footy, don't we? Just hope the lads who are playing it are all right. No, it is an opportunity to see Kate and Fabinho for the <laughs> first time. And I think with the, the prevalence of constant transfer sagas, it feels like ages that they've been Liverpool players now. And they, it feels like they might even be slightly forgotten about because we're all preoccupied with Fakir and a goalkeeper <laughs> and Shaqiri and whoever else. But it is, despite the fact that it's a friendly and you can't read too much into it, it is going to be good, isn't it, to get an opportunity to see how they might fit into the team. It really is. Uh, in midfield in particular, it'd be interesting to see if Kaiser and Fabinho play together mm-hmm. or whether he puts one in each half because I think he's going to do a, a, a first He tends to do two 11s, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, but with, with Naby Kaiser, you're right. It feels like ages that he's been asked, but we haven't really... It's like when you know what you're getting for Christmas but you can't open it till Christmas Day and it's just sitting there waiting for you and now we can open it and we can see exactly what's inside and I've seen a lot of him over the last season, season and a half and I really think he'll be fantastic in this team and I don't know how much of it we'll get to see but even if you just see a few little glimpses into the future I think that's going to be enough to get everyone excited. John, it's a squad that's probably one of the biggest pre-season squads early on at least that Liverpool will have had because there's in comparison with previous editions of the World Cup, there's a lot less Liverpool players than, than would normally be there. They've signed new players, so it's, it's a long squad list. It's, it's, it's a strong squad list as well, and there's a lot of bodies in there who will be looking to get minutes. Yeah, I think um, 26 it was that came yeah. back uh, on Monday. That's not including the two Dutch lads who are mm-hmm. apparently joining on Monday, so we may, might see a chamber or if not a Berry. So. so aside from the two new ones, aside from Fabinho and Keita, who are you looking forward to, to having a look at again? I think there's a couple... Sort of who've who've been a little bit forgotten because um, because of loans or because of you know maybe haven't been involved as much but are coming back. I noticed Shea Ojo the other day doing an interview and I was a little bit oh yeah I forgot about him <laughs> because I think he's dropped down. He he obviously went to Fulham on loan. Fulham got promoted. I think by, by the end of the season he was injured and I think Ojo is a funny player in that I think. I understand why they're sending him out on loan, but I I almost think with Ojo that he he needs a big stage to perform on, and I think he's I, I don't I don't think it's he's he's one like you know for, for example Harry Wilson's just gone gone down and loan. I also think if he doesn't make it at Liverpool, then then it, it, it sort of might not happen for him at all. Ojo, I, t- I think he's you know or, or a club like Liverpool anyway. I think he does need a big stage. I think he he sort of thrives off it, and he, and he thrives off playing with better players, and so. There was there was a year where he had a really good preseason. I think it was last time he went to America actually. So you're looking back two years now, but I think he's got a capability certainly in this these games to, to kind of get everyone a little bit excited. So so I would just certainly one Wilson is 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 one who who really needs a good preseason and one that I'm sure they'll be looking at closely. And so there'll be minutes there. And then you've also got kind of Ben Woodburn who. 
you know, is, is still Liverpool's youngest ever goal scorer, and for a while was 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 seen as the as the golden boy. The the next one, he's then got overtaken by by Trent and probably now Brewster as well. So he's 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 he needs to kind of remind everyone, including the manager, really, of the talents he's got. Mm-hmm. He had a good preseason last year, with playing in more of a midfield role, and and that might be something he, he's looking at again. Uh, with the, with the with the, a couple of injuries that we've got there, and with the fact that you know a few of the lads there might might be a bit late to coming back, I think there is an opportunity for them there to stake a claim. If you're listening to this at home, by the way, and thinking that you might quite a look at Fabinho or Kaiser in the near future, or any of the other Liverpool lads, and you missed out on a Chester ticket, that match is now sold out. But tickets for Tranmere are still available. Um, that game has been moved forward from Wednesday night to Tuesday night because of the possibility that England might be playing in a World Cup semi-final, which still feels bizarre to actually say out loud. <laughs> um, but tickets are still on, available if you're interested. <laughs> but Mo, um, John's mentioned a few of the younger players there that could look to play themselves into things, but there's quite a few coming back on loan that were previously senior members of the squad so I'm mm-hmm. thinking in the main Daniel Sturridge and Divock Origi do you think that pre-season for them is is genuinely about trying to play well in order to show the manager that they might still have a role or is it more that they're looking to get fit get some minutes put themselves in the shop window and try and get a move I think it's one of each I'd say that the latter is definitely true for Sturridge I think even in his wildest dreams, I don't think he's going to be able to force himself back into real contention. But for Origi, I think in some ways the perception of him hasn't really grown because what sometimes happens when you're, if you're a lone player and you go away and the, the first team, your parent club struggles, then your stock rises, mm-hmm. whatever you do. And the inverse is true because our front three have been playing so fantastically. It's almost like, well, he was never anywhere near that level. When in reality, it's before our front three elevated, he was starting to function in that team and he did still look like he can give us something. And I still suspect there's going to be a space, at least one space in the front three available for the first game of the season. So I really am looking to him to prove himself that he can lead this line and he can actually get something out of it. Because we've all seen before in preseason games where someone starts well, I think someone mentioned Solanke last year, he started on fire and it didn't really translate. But that was probably because he Solanke knew he wasn't going to be starting the first game of the season. Whereas now, because of the World Cup, because of the lateness of everyone coming back, this is a real opportunity. So I'd expect him to be fully switched on. He's the one I'm going to be looking for most, I'd say. Gareth, do you think there's a chance that he can play his way back in, Origi? Yeah, I think so, because I think you saw last season that um, because Klopp knew that the team were going to be fighting on a few fronts with Europe and everything else, he rotated really, really early, and I expect him to do the same again, not least because of the World Cup as well and the staggered return of of players who were still at the tournament compared to the ones who've returned already. I think the ones who were here and now competing, which includes Origi, I've got a chance. I mean, I know managers always say you have got a chance to shine in pre-season and it's a bit of a cliche. But I'd, I'd sort of take Jürgen his word on this one because I think, as Mo says, you know, some of the, the stars, if you like, I think ideally he doesn't want them to be starting West Ham away on, on the first Sunday of the season. You know, you'll be looking at a side that is strong enough to get the points but maybe not the strongest per se side that he could potentially field. So so Origi can well be in that conversation. I, I think it's really mental with Origi, and what I mean by that is, is that I, I genuinely believe he's got something. I just think he needs to get his mind in the right, right place to get it out of him. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that in flashes. You saw that in flashes when he was on loan. Okay, didn't rip up trees. The, the, the stats aren't great. There was the game where I think he comes on and he goes off again and things like that. And, you know, that's never great for any footballer. But he's got something. I mean, you know, remember, it's not that long ago where he was being preferred to Daniel Sturridge, where he's, he's starting at Dortmund away and things like that. So the manager And scored. And, and the manager saw something then in the player that he liked, that he enjoyed, that he could, he felt he could work with. And, and he seems to be one of Klopp's favourites initially, you know, in terms of the graft that he puts in or can put in. So I'd say absolutely that he has still got the potential to shine. I know a lot of fans are, have written him off and are sort of a little bit fed up, fed up with him. And as Mo says, it's sort of his stock is in a bit of a weird place in terms of, I guess a lot of fans will be a bit like, mm, I'm sick of seeing him now. He's not that good, move on. But, you know, Klopp, isn't like that, you know. Yeah. And we'll we'll come on we'll come on to Carrius. Obviously, he, he likes the, he has faith in players, and that's why that's why they like him. I mean, there's a wider story here as well, and maybe get into it more when you're talking about Carrius. But 
he wants he wants to be known as that type of manager, that a fella who will persevere with you, try and coach you, try and get the best out of you. So let's see. I mean, you know, it seemed to be instigated by Origi that he got off. He said, I won first team football regularly. Klopp said, you're not getting that here. You'll be in contention. And he went, all right, I'll go on loan then, Klopp and Sarn. See you later then. So he's back and he's got his chance. He's just got to take it though. I think there's a couple of things in Luigi's favour. I think one of them is the fact that we haven't really got a player like him. And so there would have been games last season where he would have been used in terms of, even if it's just late in a game, even if he's just looking for someone to hold the ball up, I think he can improve that part of his game. But, you know, his physical presence and stuff like that, I think is in his favour. And I think the fact that Firmino was so strong last season and, and, and he's very clear, obviously, are our number nine now. And although that sounds stupid, it wasn't the case last summer. People were, A lot of people were saying we need an out-and-out number nine. No one's really saying that now. But that kind of cements really kind of Origi's place in that if you, if you want to come, you are coming in as the backup striker and you're not going to get you know, a, a, an amazing, amazing striker to, to go and do that. You know, you know, people talking about you know Tim O'Vera or whatever. You're not going to get a, a striker of that level, although he was he was born in the World Cup, wasn't he? But you know what I mean. You're not going to. So, so in Liverpool aren't going to be looking to spend kind of fifty million on a player to compete with Firmino. They're, they're going to probably be looking at, at someone at kind of a level be below that. And as Gareth said, like we have seen a Rigi reach that level. It's just whether he can do it again. Hmm. There are many different forms of pre-season and Liverpool are partaking in a few of them this summer in that they're doing the kind of the market and trip abroad, which is a very important aspect of, of, of being a major football club now when they go to America. Um, but there's also this run of, of games against smaller local teams at the beginning. And you mentioned before, Gareth, that, that you went down to Chester in the week and Liverpool have made the, the, the gesture with the ticket sales um, about letting Chester keep hold of, of the revenue from that. How important do you think it is that... that as well as, as as doing the market and stuff and, and promoting themselves to, to a global audience with the stuff in America, that they maintain this kind of close relationship with, with teams around them in the local area. Yeah, I think it is important because, you know, it, it's... Liverpool's in Liverpool, you know, as, as obvious as that sounds. Um, you know, I, I get the global brand thing. I get that there's, there's supporters all over the world who want to see them and want to see them in the flesh and all that. But I like the fact that, you know, I think they've... they've got it right really the way that they're playing some fixtures over here and, and close close by for young fans here to get over and see them in the flesh as well you know that obviously seems like an effort to strike the balance but also like the fact that they're going to so many local clubs smaller clubs clubs that can do with the money I mean you know that's what come across at Chester massively is we went there they opened the door and they let us wander around and they let us go where we want and, and it's run completely apart from the, the two managers and the players by volunteers, mm-hmm. everyone's volunteer, and that's how the club is run, and that's how it survived. And you know, when they had the big businessman at the top, that's when it went wrong. Um, and, and it's it's just people who share, you know, through the sheer love of football, have kept that club alive. And Liverpool making that gesture, you know, people can shrug the shoulders about it and just say, "Wow, they can afford it anyway, and it's not a big deal." It is a big deal to Chester, though. So I'm made up that they're doing it because you know I'm a big advocate of of football lower down the leagues. I think everyone should try and support that when they can. It's a good way for kids to get into the game and experience football when it's not always so easy for them to do a Premier League. And it's also a good way for good footballers to get a game of football and make some kind of living out the game as well. So I'd like to see football throughout the pyramid continue to survive. And if Liverpool can support that in any way, then is right. I think Liverpool's relationship with Champions Rovers in particular has been very mutually beneficial over mm-hmm. the last few years. Um, it's been a really good in- source of income for Chamber, and I know Chamber are very grateful for that. They've obviously dropped down to the conference. It's a big stadium, and it, and it needs some kind of looking after, and you know, financially. And so the fact that Liverpool have been playing kind of under twenty threes games there, um, and and things like that, and 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 doing it for the friendlies, I know is appreciated at Chamber because people there have told me when you go. And so you know, it's it's not just a gate receipt. It's you know, it's the, it's you know the, the park and and just kind of using the facilities and things like that. And but it's as I say, it's mutually beneficial because Liverpool, have, you know, don't. Want to be playing every every game at Anfield, you know, for the, to protect the pitch and stuff like that. So to have a good ground where the players can go and play and, and practice playing in what is quite a big stadium, you know, it, I mean, it must have been the biggest in the non-league. And now, obviously, there's a back in the football league, but it doesn't mean the champions are going to be loaded. You know, you go back into the league and suddenly players won't pay more and blah blah blah. So I think it's it, it works both ways, and, I, and I'm sure Liverpool are. Uh, uh, 
aware of that and I'm sure that you know as, as, as Chamber hopefully move a bit higher and, and do well in League 2 you know it suddenly becomes a place where you can send out players on loan and things like that so so it works both ways and, it, and it's good both ways and, and I'm sure, I think it's appreciated both ways you, you want your club as well to sort of be known for basically being sound and being human and you know not being this corporate monster that it, it's levelled at it that it is and I think, you know, a lot of the, like the, the Red Neighbour stuff that they've done, um, you know, Tony Barrett being in the role that he is, and then, you know, this this attitude towards friendlies, towards Tranmere, towards Chester. And I know they've helped Chester as well in the past as well. There, there was a time where they were struggling to essentially field a side, such as, the, you know, the difficulties with the finances. And I'm pretty sure that they lent or, or put a goalie their way, basically, and said, there you go, you know, you can field this lad and we, we'll, we'll do a, a favourable you know, non-cash type deal, not a dodgy thing, a nice thing. And, you know, I just think you know, stuff like that's that's really good because the, the, you want your club to a, to feel like a nice club, feel like a, a club that cares about the community. It's a- well, that's all for part one, but we'll be back after this break with an interview with WWE's newest star, Zach Gibson. Welcome to an Anfield Rap Special. I'm pleased to be joined again by Neil Dockin and uh, another wrestling superstar, Liverpool's number one podcast. Now, welcome to Liverpool's number one wrestler and the UK's number one wrestler, uh, WWE NXT UK star Zach Gibson. Zach, welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. It's easy for you to say that. Hey, I got there in the end, didn't I? <laughs> for those not listening, this is the eighth take. <laughs> but, you know, um, so yeah, with that in mind, uh, Neil Dockin, I'm going to hand over to you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm delighted to have you here on, on the show today, Zach. wanted to talk to you uh, in the wake of the uh, second WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament where you had an incredible time um, and just wanted to really get people to hear a little bit about your story and, and where you've come from to the position you're in now where you're one of the top wrestlers in the whole of Europe. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's everything I ever wanted to do in my life. I've been obsessed with wrestling since I can remember. Since I was about 10 years old, that was when I first started watching it and this is all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be a wrestler. Any wrestler in the world wants to wrestle for the WWE. Yeah. Some of them will go online and blag that they want to wrestle somewhere else or you know, talking talking nonsense. WWE is the lead and brand in sports entertainment, always has been, always will be. And to actually stand here now, well, I say stand, to sit here now, talk to you two and be able to say, I'm WWE NXT UK's Zach Gibson. That that's everything I ever wanted to say. No, it's fantastic, and and you're also a big Liverpool fan, which makes you the perfect guest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, when did you first become a Red? Do you remember like your first match, first memories? Yeah, I guess it's um, it's probably a similar story for most people, really. I mean, again, some some people might bail on what their parents bring them up on a couple of years down the line, but my dad was a big Red. Yeah. Most of my family is a Red, so uh, my uncle hates us, hates us all. <laughs> Won't watch me wrestling because I've got a live bed on my gear. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a story as old as time, isn't it? My, my dad loves Liverpool. He brought me up on Liverpool. And um, I'd say that one of my one of my oldest memories, we used to he used to take us to the game whenever he could. He worked, you know, long hours, but whenever he was free and there was a game on, he would take us there. So I watched the majority of my football when I was a bit younger. But the one that sort of sticks in my head was just after Liverpool won the treble. The 2000, 2001? 2001. Yeah, yeah. So it's that season, and uh, when they came back, Joe for the bus tour, oh, yeah. we were all in the street. Like you can't really forget that, can you? So that's always stuck with me, and just seeing everyone buzzing off that, and seeing the team up celebrating and everything. That's that's probably a more vivid image that I've got than any particular one match when I was sort of ten years old. But you you still get you still get to the game though. I mean, for instance, you with the Brighton five one game, weren't you? Yeah, we were talking about this just yeah. before. Do you know. Uh, I'm a full time professional wrestler now, and especially on the independent level. I don't have any time to myself. I barely have time to breathe, barely have time to think. So I get to the game whenever I can. Unfortunately, it's nowhere near as much as I'd like to, but as I said earlier, when, so when for, can I get what's, what's a typical week for you, schedule-wise? Just for those that don't know, because I mean, a lot of people, me included, just think, oh, you turn on the telly, these fellas just turn up, rock <laughs> up, and then, you know, and that's yeah. it, and they lead this mad glamorous lifestyle when actually the, the, the opposite is true. Yeah. Well, I got, uh, we'll just go forwards then. So this week, I'm teaching in Magal tonight. Uh, I've actually got a rare day off tomorrow, but I've got to see my bird because she's on my back. <laughs> uh, I'll be teaching again on Thursday. Uh, I'm teaching on Friday, so there'll be seminars where it'll be all day. But then Saturday, I fly to Dublin to wrestle for OTT. I fly back Sunday morning to wrestle for Future Shock in Manchester. Monday morning, I fly to Denmark. 
I'll be in Denmark for a week. I think it's up until Sunday morning. We've got teaching in the day and shows every night. I fly back Sunday morning to wrestle in Manchester again. And then I might get a day off on Monday before I'm back out on Tuesday. Um, in August, early August, I fly out to the States and I'm going on tour with Progress Wrestling. We're going New York, Boston, Seattle, Detroit, Philadelphia, somewhere else that I'm forgetting. But then I f we we're over there sort of two and a half weeks, just shows every single day. I actually get a day off on my birthday in New York, which I'm looking forward to. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. You know, have, to, have to give uh, <clears throat> pop into Brian and Carrigan or something. Drop a word in. Someone's looking over me there. So I've got one day off in New York on my birthday, and then it's back to it. I think then we travel to Detroit the next day. But when I come back from the States, I'm coming home for a day to see my girlfriend, and then I fly out to China for another show out in China. And then when we get back from there, it's NXT UK at the end of August. How, how, how do you find China? Because you've been there before. Yeah, China's amazing. It's <clears throat> it's just like nowhere else, nowhere else in the world. It was actually my first international booking I ever took. So before that, the only place I'd ever been abroad was on a lad's holiday to Magaluf. And then I That's was a bit, a bit of a jump. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different. Change of pace there. Yeah. So I went from uh, being on the beach with four of my mates for four days. And then suddenly I went to China by myself for two months. Uh, but we didn't go to Beijing or somewhere like that, which is quite touristy and there's you know, English-speaking people. I went right into the thick of it. So I went to Hong Kong for three days while they sorted out my visa. I thought that was that was enough of a change for me. I was I could have gone home, basically, and I could have told everyone how crazy my life was. But instead, I had to get on a bus to go across the border into Shenzhen, which is the bottom of China, then get on a flight, and we flew into the central China, which is Chongqing, and there they... I hope it doesn't come across wrong because it's just it's just a fact they they haven't seen white people before. So let alone have they not seen a young lad who's six foot four walking around. And um I got on the I got on the flight. It's a, obviously it's an internal flight in China with a load of people who were just going home. Just everyone yeah. on that flight was Chinese. It's like getting no on the one bus, spoke English. Yeah. Not even close to speaking English. They could say hello and they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And you're not that inconspicuous a wrestler as oh, well. Oh, no, no. So I got on this flight and my head was scraping along the roof. And the second <laughs> I took one foot onto the flight, every single set of eyes spun around and started staring at me. And I used to just, oh, hello, hello. And I sat down and the girl and her grandma, whoever it was that was sat next to me, were just staring at me for 10 minutes didn't say a word to me and then they just got out their phone and just took a selfie with me. <laughs> how do um, how do the promotions change region by region all over the world? Are they more or less broadly the same or is there, is there wild differences between who you, yeah. where you're wrestling, who you're wrestling for, etc.? Stylistically, it is very different. Um, so like the scene over in Japan and the Chinese scene does, it mirrors the Japanese scene. They're very similar. It's a lot more, a lot more hard-hitting and... Um, it's really like sports-based. They want to see a, a clean fight between these guys. And then obviously like the more American style is a lot more Conor McGregor, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. More the showbiz style. A little bit more showbiz. But even then, I mean, th there's so many different things that go into wrestling that I just, I don't think half the people give us any sort of credit for. It's, it's the ultimate variety show. So on, on one show, you can have the silliest, funniest thing you've ever seen in your life followed by a battle to the death between two lads who were taking it deadly seriously. And that's just within one show in this country, in any country. I'd say the biggest differences weren't necessarily stylistically. The biggest difference for me wrestling in China was that they couldn't speak English. So I had to literally just get in there and, you know, do movements with them to explain what we were about to do. And just luckily, they're all half my size, so I could just throw them around. And try and tell a story with the action in the ring rather than your words as well. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. How does a skinny young lad... Teenager from Mughal, how does he find himself in this position? How do you how do you wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a professional wrestler? How did it come about? Do you know what? I don't know. And people ask me this all the time. I don't really know. There was never one moment where something changed or something clicked. I just, I just never grew up. I just always wanted to be a wrestler. And I said to myself, I'm going to do this. And then I just kept on doing it, yeah. I guess. I mean, like, you started training at 16, didn't you? Yeah, uh, 15. 15. Yeah, yeah. So I had to, I had to blag that I was 16 because you needed parental permission to start <laughs> if you weren't 16. And I asked my dad if I could do it. And he said, absolutely not. Not a chance. He came down on me really hard. He said, no. Um, I was doing quite well at school. So I think he always wanted me to just pursue school and, you know, become an accountant, do something along those lines. And uh, 
So I said to him, yeah, that's fine. And I just snuck out, you know, just like anything. You can't, if someone wants to do something badly enough, you're not going to not do it, are you? So yeah. I did it for two and a half years without telling him. Uh, I just used to sneak out every morning. I don't know how he wasn't onto it, to be honest. I still take... Do you think he was quietly? No, no. No. <laughs> because of when he did find not, out. <laughs> we always used to discuss this, and I rhythm for it now, because I had already had bookings. I'd been wrestling on little shows. I had gear, knee pads, boots, kick pads at the time, and I used to hide them in the back of my guitar amp. And then I went from getting up at 12 every Saturday to suddenly getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning and going out to get my two buses and a train to get to the training school. And my dad asked me one day, he's like, what's going into you? You're getting up early. So I'm just trying to make the most of my weekends, dad. Which is a lie from a 15-year-old <laughs> lad, isn't it? <laughs> that is a lie. But all my mates used to say the same thing. They were saying, like, oh, I think he knows and he's just too embarrassed to pull you on it. And then uh, I wrote out a CV for a little part-time job and spoke about wrestling in it and left it at the side of my computer by accident and he found it. And um, it hit the fan. So <laughs> he you. went mad. He went nuts. He didn't talk to me for two weeks <laughs> until eventually he said, he pulled me into the living room and I'd been training in the two weeks that we didn't speak. And he pulled me in and he said, you know what? Like, obviously I can't stop you. I just don't, you know, I don't appreciate it, but I can't stop you from doing it. I'll support you. Just promise me one thing. Just promise me you just won't throw each other around. So I said, I promise that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you still got your degree in accountancy and finance. You went to John Moore's, didn't yeah. you? Uh, but at the same time, you know, you were starting to make a name for yourself across the Northwest. And the British scene wasn't then what it is now. It was a lot smaller. There wasn't as much attention on it. Oh, definitely, yeah. The, the, it's weird because I, the scene has grew with me, not necessarily saying that it's all down to me because it's not. It's down to a, an entire generation of lads in the same position of me. And we've all put our heads together and we've all made this happen. Basically, we've forced it to happen. But because um, it has sort of grew with with me, you are right there, you know, early years and obviously university. I can't even, can't remember how old you are at university now. It's all blurred. But when we were at university, I wasn't very old. I was doing like little shows and this and that. But it was still all I ever wanted to do. I just always thought I've got height on my size. Do you know, I'm, I'm going to go over to the States one day and make, make a million pounds. And uh, things like we had dissertations to do and all that stuff and... There's a direct correlation between my wrestling career and my grades. <laughs> I won um, some sort of award in year nine for being the best at maths. And that was why my dad was always like, no, forget about wrestling. You're going to do this. Yeah. And then by the time it came to handing in my dissertation at uni, I was wrestling at Brit Rest Fest in London under Alex Shane. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I actually had the dissertation to hand in that night. And I was only half done. And I just submitted it. Well, okay, so I don't need a degree yeah. when I'm going to be a world-famous wrestler. Well, well, fair play. <laughs> it was worth sticking with. I mean, you, you wrestled, you say, for companies like Future Shot Wrestling in Manchester, uh, Grand Pro Wrestling in Wigan, uh, New Generation Wrestling in Hull. Um, and, and you went, you, originally you went by a different name, but then you settled on Zach Gibson yeah. and you started using these elements of Liverpool Football Club and the city of Liverpool in your persona. How did you kind of settle on that and develop that as part of your personality? Do you know I think it is as well? I think it's as you get older. So, when, like I say there, when I, was a, when I was a bit younger and I was like heavily, like really getting into my wrestling. So I've always had a couple of different hobbies. Like I like wrestling, I like surfing, I like football. Um, but wrestling was just the one that I wanted to pursue more. And um, when I was first getting into that, all I could see was like the bright lights of WWE. I wanted to get over there and then even as I started getting into it, I just wanted to travel. And then it seemed like the more I travelled, the more I just missed Liverpool. So the more nights out I had to spend in Manchester, the more I thought, like, this city's rubbish. I hate it here. <laughs> and then when I had to travel up to Scotland, I just thought, like, oh, it's all right, but it doesn't have a strip of bars quite like Liverpool. Oh, and yeah. then the more I'd spend time with, like, Londoners and Southerners, I said, they're not as nice as Scousers. They're not as welcoming. And it made me actually, like, miss this city more and then that just started coming through I think the more bitter I got to a couple of weeks I had to spend in Manchester it's not quite, it's not quite the northern lines of my goal is it no no <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny though because you, you, you sort of embraced you know your roots and you took on all these different elements yeah. so for those who don't know you know you started coming down to the ring to like a punk rock cover uh, the addicts a punk rock cover you know walk alone the live a bird on your trunks and even like your moves, you've got your finishing move is the Shankly Gates, this grounded wrist lock submission. And you've got moves named after Beatles songs, the Helter Skelter, you know, your brain buster, uh, Ticket to Ride. Um, it, you know, you embraced all those elements of, of Liverpool. 
and that created, um, it, it gave you such a strong identity, but also an identity that in a lot of parts of the country <laughs> doesn't go down too well with fans. I mean, uh, the first time I saw you in action was um, for Preston City Wrestling. Uh, I think it was in spring 2013, and you're in like a Royal Rumble match. And it was just weeks after the Luis Suarez, Branislav Ivanovic affair. And uh, so Zach comes out in his in his red kit, you know, gets down to the ring, already getting booed and cheered, and the usual sort of chance you can imagine. And then he goes and bites Joey Hayes' arm, <laughs> this wrestler from Wigan. And, and obviously, straight away, everyone thinks of Suarez, and the place just erupts. I mean, when did you realise, oh, I'm onto something here, you know, this this really works? It was just really, really organic, to be honest. And, like, people have joked about it. Jim Smallman, you know, he runs Progress Wrestling. He's actually a stand-up comedian as well. And he always jokes about it being sort of the last acceptable form of racism is take the mick out of Scousers. I think it just, it speaks more to the people from Liverpool rather than it does to the others because Scousers can just... So they can take it on the chin and have a laugh about it, and it's just a load of banter at the end of the day, isn't it? Like you, you hear much worse stuff shouted at the game, some of the atrocities that you hear shouted from the away end over our way, and vice versa. It's um, it just adds to the whole atmosphere of everything, and I kind of wanted to harness that a little bit, and that's all it came from. And then just to stick up for Suarez a little bit because he takes a lot of stick. I like Suarez, I always have. <laughs> I've been on record before of just saying he's not a very good example to kids so I'm not trying to say that they should be doing this but in his defence it is just fight or flight isn't it you know he's not the biggest lad he wasn't exactly going to square up and knock someone out is he he's just playing the card he's been dealt he's got big old teeth he's, he's, he's backed into a corner <laughs> he's going to fight someone so Tom I mean, Lewis Suarez just to jump a couple of years because he was like the last genuine world class player yeah. Liverpool had up until Talking, talking about your uh, ring entrance down in Wembley. Yeah. The um, Mo Salah, what do you make of him? Oh, new, con- new contract signs. It's the best. I've, I've just been talking about this actually with a couple of my mates. So him signing on for five years, that's a big deal. Not just for him, like you say in there, Joe, he's world class. And by himself, he makes a difference in the team. You, you have him on surrounded by anyone. He, he brings the best out of everyone because he is world class. But I do think it's good when it comes to you know, trying to secure Mane for longer, basically. He'll look at someone like Salah signing off for five years, surely that's got to be a calming effect on everyone. So I think it's only going to be good for the team. Anyone else thinking about coming to Liverpool with a player like Salah with everything that he's achieved in the last year? So do you, do you see your career in the ring rising almost in a parallel line to Liverpool Football Club over the next few seasons? I hope so, yeah. I really hope so. I mean, we actually had a, I had a show in London that had like a 1978 theme and it was the day after the Champions League final. And I was watching it in town with all my mates. And I was dying, just praying for us to win on two levels. One, as a fan, because obviously, you know, it's everything It's everything the team's about. You want to see them bring the European Cup back home. But then on the other hand, I was wrestling in London the next day. I had already bought the 78 kit to walk out in, uh, just to get under their skin a little bit more. And what I thought was going to be one of my proudest moments just turned into a public execution while I stood up on the stage. Welcome back to the Anfield Rap City Talk Show. I'm here with John Gibbons now and we're going to have a chat about the weekend betting, John, aren't we, for the World Cup? Firstly, what a bloody tournament. It's been, it's been spectacular, hasn't it? It's been so much fun. Um, obviously, the, the group stages were really good. That threw up some really good stories and some really good games. And then people say, oh, well, calm down when you get to the, the, the round of 16. It'll get all cagey, but... No, so, uh, so I mean, France Argentina kind of kicked it off, didn't it? In mm-hmm. terms of, in terms of quality and, and in terms of excitement, um, and yeah, from there it's just been great. I know three penalty shootouts, a man kicking a football into his own face off a post, <laughs> celebrating a goal, <laughs> a sort of aborted somersault throwing, which is, is still I'd the favourite moment. That. I think it seems, doesn't it seem like years ago? Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Do you still practice it now? I still think he's thinking if only he'd just gone with it. If only he'd committed to the somersault, we'd have probably scored. Yeah, you can't call a foul throw on that, can you? No matter where no. he lands. And no one's checking the sand afterwards <laughs> like the long jump. <laughs> Shall we have a look at what's coming up on Saturday? Yeah, so uh, there's some bets related to Saturday's games, so I just want you to rate them so for me. So it's England, Sweden, and Russia, Croatia, isn't yeah. it, Saturday? Yeah, okay. yeah. So not necessarily, these are more kind of specials. Okay. So, um, and enhanced bets the Reds bet do, so they, they enhance some, a, few, a few things. Um, so first of all, England to reach the final is now 6-4. to four. 
and that's that's enhanced in theory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that they've got the strongest shout, but I'm just not convinced that it's. I mean, six to four to win the next two games. It feels short to me. To be that's honest, that's what with I you. mean. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's worth lashing so, your money on. To be honest, yeah, I'm going. I think I think two carries out of five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's too short. Yeah, I think it's too short. Well, maybe this one will tempt you then. On. Sweden to reach the final, seven to one. Oh. Oh, see, I think I, I think that I feel like that's too short. I think I think. <laughs> so you think the other ties a bit, the other ones a bit stronger? Yes, because. All right then, go on. Russia to win, reach the final, eleven to two. Oh, I'll have that. I will have that one <laughs> because all all they've really got to do because they, yeah. they've already got through by not being good at football, so, <laughs> so they can just do that again. Yeah. Um and and sneak a goal. They've got a huge lad up front, haven't they? You could cause yeah. people problems with their pieces. They've shown a, a decent propensity for penalties and saving penalties. The, I genuinely think that the, the home crowd factor is is doing an awful lot of good for them. And at times, I think it's really overstated. Mm-hmm. But Russian sports fans have never seen anything like what happens in that Spanish match and the scenes yeah. at the end. They've never had anything like it. And, I mean, you, you, you look at what happened with Brazil against Germany in 2014, the 7-1. It, it can't yeah. do everything for you, yeah. home advantage. But it can make a genuine, real difference. I think home fans, when there's no expectations, yeah. and we've seen that in, in, in for as Liverpool fans, the, the difference between Liverpool when they're expected to win and you're like, well, come in then. And then Liverpool when... It's a Champions League quarterfinal against uh, Man City, who mm-hmm. are twenty points ahead of us in the league, or whatever. Where we're like, well, we'll just—they're yeah. probably not going to win it. So let's just let's just make loads. We'll of all just scream, and it might help. We'll yeah, all just yeah, scream, yeah. and it might help. And then it, it works. And yeah. you're like, that was good. Let's do that <laughs> yeah, again. Let's just do that, but even more. And it feels like everyone in the ground has done that. And you know, regardless of. And I've got loads of hang-ups about the fact that the tournament has actually been held late and the reasons why and stuff. But regardless of all that, yeah. it was absolutely brilliant to watch them all go mad after that shootout the other day. So I, I, I think it's possible at this point. I'm not saying that, that I was expecting to get there, but if I was looking at any of those three bets there to, to put me money on and get into the yeah. final, I'd be more tempted by Russia than anyone else. Okay, uh, the last one is England to be eliminated from the World Cup by penalty shootout. That's 9-2. to two. See, I think that's decent just because... Um, I think I think I think England's next game, and if they get through to the semi-final, that one as well is likely to be a cagey affair. Well, it is. The likelihood of penalties is strong at this point, and also Russia and Croatia have already won a penalty shootout as well, um, for both very different reasons. Russia obviously using the atmosphere to help and, and the home advantage, but also Croatia's got a lot of really technical footballers that can slot a penalty. So, I suppose if they had to play either of them in a semi, and it went to pens, I probably wouldn't fancy them. So, yeah, that one, that one has taken me interest, John. Okay. Um, yeah, if you want to gamble on the World Cup, then we encourage you to do so with Red's Bet. If you do gamble, obviously, if, if you don't, then that's fine. But if you are already enjoying the bets, then we encourage you to do so with Red's Bet just because the 50% of their losses or their profits go back to fan causes. So do have a look. They've got some fantastic transfer options as well. If you want to have a little bet on who's likely to leave or join Liverpool, you can do that there as well. But um, I'm not sure what we're going back to now, but it'll be it's bound to be good, isn't it, Dan? Oh, it was all fantastic. <laughs> all fantastic. Cheers. See you soon. Thanks very much to Neil and Andy and to Zach for that. We're back in the studio now with Gareth, John and Mo and we're going to have a little chat about Liverpool's goalkeeping situation. So, Mo, Jürgen Klopp has given an interview with the Liverpool FC official website in the last couple of days where he outlines the effect of the apparent concussion on Lotus Carius in the Champions League final and he just generally shows support for him as his his number one. Um, How does the prospect of of Lotus Carius lining up between the sticks in Liverpool's first match in August make you feel? Um, cautious. I think it's probably the word to say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't kind of not watch it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. kind of stand there with my hands over my eyes. I probably in my mind I'd be crossing my fingers a little bit. I. I don't believe that he's never going to be able to be a great goalkeeper for Liverpool again. I do think that the chance of that happening is greater if he doesn't start the season. Um, however, I do think that this interview is something that's it's kind of been blown a little bit out of proportion in as much as it's exactly what everyone would should expect Jurgen Klopp to say based on his mm-hmm. history backing his players, based on the fact that we're still early on in, in the window. He's almost kind of preparing people for the idea that in case we don't get another goalkeeper, this is what's going to happen. John, um, it strikes me that this maybe wasn't what they were planning to do. 
there's been an awful lot of talk around them signing a goalkeeper and the links have gone quiet in the last few weeks. Do you think it's a case of they've looked around Europe, they've looked around wherever, tried to find a goalkeeper, there's no one that they think they can reasonably purchase who is a massive upgrade and they've just thought it's better to stick than twist? Maybe, yeah. I think a couple of things need to be remembered. The first one is that we were probably looking at a goalkeeper anyway. And so I think that needs to be kind of remembered in that we've been, you know, if you look at Alisson, for example, we've been linked with him very, very strongly back to kind of February. So I think they probably would have looked for a goalkeeper anyway. And then secondly, the transfer window is still open. And just because he's starting against Chester doesn't mean he is against West Ham. So, I mean, I think we're all expecting Liverpool to sign another outfield player, for example. You'd be shocked if Liverpool didn't sign another outfield player. So why are we all just assuming that we won't mm-hmm. sign a goalkeeper as well? So I think there is a st- still a little bit more to play for um, kind of in that regard. And I think there is a still a little bit more, you know, t- t- time. And, and I think I don't think they'll have given up, but I think... It does feel like the, the football club today, especially, are trying to get people used to the fact that he might he might be playing in a few weeks ago. And I know some of you are really angry. Yes, you, John. But you're going to have to try and calm down a bit because yeah, he, he, he's, he, he might be there. And so I think I think that's what they're trying to do at the moment. It's not just it's not just um, Jet, uh, Klopp, is it? I know just Steven Gerrard's done something today, and you, you fancy he's had a bit of a nudge because apparently he still works for Liverpool. Like that, you know, the, like the, you know, did the kite of it and stuff like that. Like I'm sure he's got a job in Scotland, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently he still works for us, so we're getting to say nice things about Carius as well. Gareth, one of the things that makes me think that this could just be a bit of a bad idea is that <laughs> despite the the fame and support of the manager and the coaching staff and his teammates, which is all really good. There are just some supporters who will be at Anfield or who will be in away grounds come come the start of the season who, whether rightly or wrongly, just just won't be able to 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 forgive him for what happens in the final, won't be able to let it go. So are we not just going to end up in a position where we're going to be arguing about this and it's going to be an issue until they eventually, whenever it is, do sign a goalkeeper? That's my fear, yeah. I, I, I kind of think that, you know, that we're in a place with this goalkeeper where a lot of people weren't convinced by him anyway. Then we have what happens that happens in the in the final. And obviously that's being put down by the keeper, the manager, and, and the hospital test, everything else. Concussion, okay, fine. But nevertheless, I think to we've seen previously that when he messed up at Bournemouth, he, he was eventually taken out of the limelight and had a bit of a break and then came back in and seemed to benefit from it and play well and play, you know, take some of those doubts away again. But he, he seems a little bit back to square one for me. And I, I get the idea why lots of fans are saying, if he turns out for the team, you support him. If, you t- if he turns out for the team, you support any player wearing the red. Fully behind that as a concept. However, you know, history of going the match for as long as I have suggests that there won't be many people. Well, there'll be, there'll be a proportion of people in the ground who won't be very patient with him. And the minute he does something wrong, anything wrong, and all goalkeepers make mistakes at some point, you know, they'll be on his case. And then what I don't want is, you know, you have this sort of vicious psychological circle whereby the fans are on his back. He doesn't perform well because he knows the fans are on his back and we just continually turn in that circle. We had that with Mignolet. Uh, everything seemed to point to the fact that he was going and a new keeper was coming in. And yet here we are only sort of four weeks until the, win- the window closes because, of course, it's closing earlier this season after clubs voted for that. Um you know, and here we are. A new keeper hasn't come in, and I'm back to the you know the same old names again. And I I think if, if a keeper of any quality came in, you know, he he quite quickly jumps to number one given the circumstances around Carrius because I just think he could do with Asmos and not a thing. Just just take him out the firing line for a little bit. Why put this pressure on him? You know, you're almost building him up to fail by by throwing him back in for me a little bit. And I just think from you know there is a keeper in there, surely that that's why they bought him. That you know the due diligence must have been done. There was talking of him being you know in some kind of Bundesliga eleven or or whatever. Once upon a time, I seem to remember. So maybe he is capable, but I just think you know it's huge pressure that's being put on his shoulders to come in and perform straight away. And you know even this Chester friendly, you know he's going to turn out there, and I get that he's got to play football again somewhere. But everyone's going to be looking at him. I mean, you know, go back to our trip, across, our mad trip across Europe when we went to Kiev. We were stopping in all these different countries and service stations post-match and every single newspaper in whatever language it was had his face on the front cover. You know, it was that's one of the biggest football games in the world 
and, and he made those mistakes, concussion or not, and that will be remembered. And I just think it's really difficult for him to come back. And he's just not doing himself any favours with his mad Instagram video <laughs> as well. I mean, again, I've, I've been arguing with people about this. And look, I get it that he, you know, he fancies himself a bit. His team or whatever around him thinks that he's a bit of a model. He thinks he's a bit of a model. He thinks he's a good-looking lad. And maybe he's doing his mad video on Instagram going, this is just showing the world that I'm in a normal place and I'm sound and that I'm ready to come back. Okay, that's one interpretation. My interpretation is... It's poorly thought out this by him and his team for the reasons I've just been talking about because there'll be lots of people that go and watch Liverpool on a regular basis that I've got the doubts about him and they see that and they just think he doesn't care this fella. Why you know, why isn't he knuckling down with his football instead of putting out these Baywatch videos? Um and so again, whatever you think of that video, I just don't think that video is doing himself any famous. So I'm surprised that we're in a situation where we're likely, it seems, to start a season with him as number one. John, regardless of the fact that he's he's coming off the back of, of, of those mistakes and the pressure on him since the final, it is a berserk video, isn't it? Steven Gerrard wouldn't have got away with that. Like, you know, Gareth's points are all right on that don't do it at the time, but just don't do it ever. Like, honestly, like, if I've never seen anything like it. And I'm shocked that there's, there's like, any kind of variation in opinion on it. It's an absolutely dreadful thing for any human being to do. Like... <laughs> Never mind the footballer who's just done that. Like it's just mad, and I think like I I never I never really feel like a Liverpool versus everywhere else thing. I don't really sort of buy into like it too much. You know what I mean? In terms of you know I don't I don't obsess over it, but it has like made me realise like how different Liverpool can be to the rest of the world. If people are bouncing around thinking stuff like that's fine, you just don't do it in Liverpool. You know we were laughing before about the famous story about Jamie Carragher when. When he was he was doing all right and bought himself a wallet, and his mates like tore into him like, "Who do you think you're out with your wallet?" And it was an expensive wallet. It wasn't like a part of wallet. It was just a black wallet. I think it was from Topman or something. And they all like laid into him like, you know, any sign in Liverpool that you're you're trying to be a little bit flash or just get jumped on. And the worst thing you can possibly be accused of in this city is being too big for your boots, boots or being like all that. Like, I mean, Mo, like you've got a bit of an outside perspective, I yeah. suppose, in terms of coming to Liverpool. I mean, you wouldn't have advised him to do that video. I wouldn't have advised him to do that, no. <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't mind it. I don't have as strong views again about it as you do. One thing I would say, though, uh, if he'd have done it with the Baywatch music and he'd have put it out with the Baywatch music <laughs> and it would have just been like a little bit of a parody. Yeah. If there was, if there was the, some sort of self-deplication yeah, or irony about it. I would have you? been, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but there wasn't and it didn't. And I think you're right, John. I think in terms of... The, the aim of it was to try and put out a message to the fans of Liverpool. And if he'd have known really what the fans of Liverpool were thinking and feeling, he wouldn't have done that. But he should know. And like, how, how far like disconnected can you be from, from the city that you live in that you think that's fine? It's interesting because you, we, we don't know really what their day-to-day -day life is like. I mean, we've heard in the past of some of the different players who have really integrated into the city, I think of likes of Rayner and Alonso yeah. and Dan Aga. But we don't really know to what extent. I mean, for example, I've not seen any of them come into a motel when I've been DJing. <laughs> And like maybe they just don't like indie music. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like I, I mean, I've seen a few um, of them on the Instagram, and they kind of do kind of go to certain areas of town. But you don't really know how much they're seeing and talking to people, and really getting the vibes of what it's like. Because I can imagine the manager saying to them, "Don't look at the press. Don't look at this. Don't look. Don't look on social media." So they're probably discouraged from finding out in that method. I mean. To a certain extent, it's kind of impossible. But I think this is one of those situations where, in his mind, what he was doing was the right thing, and it's now become abundantly clear to him that it wasn't. How he reacts from that, between now and the, the time when we actually start to start playing playing football, is going to be really important. But I don't think, like... Sorry, I know I've talked a lot, but I don't think, like, 
Liverpool's particularly unique on this. Like, I think like if if I was someone who like moved to Glasgow or whatever, I'd think you know, but this is like a tough working class town or Marseille or something like that. And you thought, do you know what? Like, this is not a place where you you act like the big mm. one because everyone's just going to think you're an idiot. You yeah. should maybe have a you know, Carrie should maybe have a bit of a chat with David James about how it went down when he was modelling for Armani <laughs> and suggesting that everyone wears white suits in a cup final because yeah. that didn't go down well either. We're still talking about. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're literally still talking about. I've brought it up as a thing like you know all these years on and it, it doesn't go down well I, I just don't I, but what what I don't get about it is it's took a lot of effort to do that you know it's a team of people mm. it's not just like he hasn't just selfie themselves yeah it's a proper like you know it's in Hollywood it's very professional yeah it's literally in Hollywood so so when there's a meeting about that what did the what were they all saying I mean I know he's put stuff out before you know basically saying I'm dead handsome aren't I and when he was in a better place and when he was playing better and, and when we, we didn't have all this baggage around him, mm. I think a lot of people were having a bit of a joke about it. I can remember people on the Anfield app going, oh, he's a, you know, he's a good-looking lad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And all this kind of thing. But, you know, the goalposts have moved um, and, and he should be he should realise that. And, and, you know, it's not the time for that. What, what we need him to do is perform well on the pitch, convince people that he's mm. able to do that job and then maybe have a think about I mean, you know, doing other stuff, modelling and that. I don't want, I don't want us to sound like we're thinking that he's doing that and not training. Because well, obviously yeah. it's going to be... He's not like training, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The whole hand-eye coordination in the table tennis, maybe that's what we need to get him over the edge. But the problem is, is that he's kind of allowed people to think that by put, this being the first thing we've heard from him. So in some, in some ways you can think maybe he's trying to take his mind off thing, have a bit of fun or whatever. But you're right. Within the meetings that undoubtedly went down, I would have been surprised. I mean, I wonder genuinely what the likes of uh, Milner and Henson and Alana, them guys, I wonder if he spoke to them before putting it out because if he had, I dare say they probably would have told him not to do it. Milner's got a very different social media brand. (laughs) (laughs) If he'd have put that video out with it, it would all be all over it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And 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 again, because if he'd have done it, it would have been in a self-deprecating way. It'd have been in Rotherham. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just in a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I think just just before we go, in all likelihood, Danny Ward and Simon Mignolet are going to be leaving Liverpool this summer. So they've got to buy a goalkeeper, haven't they? Would it not make sense to just buy a really good one instead of a backup? I think that the plan should always be to buy someone who's good enough to be the first choice because the whole idea of a backup is that you might get something wrong with the first choice and then you've got to play them anyway. So I do, I'd be surprised if they were not looking at any goalkeepers anymore. In fact, I'd be terrified because we've spent all this time talking about carriers, but if we're not looking at any goalkeepers, that means many nights still at the club. And that's a bigger problem for me. But there's still plenty of time. I still think that whoever we look at is going to be potentially of the quality that if Carrius does start and it doesn't go well, then he will be able to go in. I'd still prefer him to start than Karius and have Karius to give the chance, like Robert said, to rebuild himself and come back. Because let's not forget, before the final, there was definite signs of improvement. People were warming to the idea of him being a long-term keeper. Yes, it was a big mistake. Yes, it was a very, very big match. But that's why I think he needs the time and space to rehabilitate himself and us. And hopefully, Jurgen Klopp will be able to find someone who can give it to him. That is all we've got time for this week on the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. So thank you very much to Gareth, to Mo and to John for joining me and to all you at home for listening. Have a lovely weekend in the sunshine, everyone. Sports Social Podcast Network.